Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kavi Kabusi, and I'll be discussing a diverse array of subjects that span from my experiences in the emergency room to the furthest reaches of the universe. I'll be hosting guests, inviting illuminating conversations that at times may challenge ways of thinking or being, while also nurturing curiosity, meaning, and awe into life. Please consider subscribing, liking, saving, or sharing this podcast with any of your friends or family if it feels right for you. Thank you for taking the time. Let's dive into the podcast. This is a special podcast. It's the first time I've personally seen people in this large of a number on a podcast speaking about something that's actually relevant and not inflammatory nonsensical like a lot of the garbage that shows up online. Um, This conversation was among a total of nine men including myself speaking on certain subjects that were pulled at random and that we dove into and there were important subjects that i feel are applicable to many men regardless of where they're they're hailing from in order for them to to consider their relationship to life their relationship to integrity and how men can be congregating in places to be unconditionally witnessed and be in spaces with men where otherwise there would be competition and comparison you will see camaraderie and support as you dialogue what the reflections are. Our example is one of many, and I was really grateful for all of these men who came from across North America to make this happen. There were some men that were missing, but uh, they were there in our hearts, and we acknowledged them throughout this conversation. I appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to hearing your feedback regarding this podcast. Should we share a breath together first? Sure. All right. Okay. Count of three, take a nice deep breath in. We'll do three breaths together, right? Already one, two, three. And out. And again. And one more. Take all the air in. Right, this next episode of the podcast is a special one. We've got eight of ten gents of, I guess, four billion potential men that could be up at the cottage this weekend. It's uh, minus 40 outside and w- with wind chill, what I'm told. That's for the Americans, and it's minus... Actually, that should be roughly about the same Celsius as well, too. Uh, we've got a special weekend going on up at a cottage that I initially got for people to come to gather and this is the first time that we've actually made it happen and as I'm recording this if you're not listening with video I'm looking into the eyes of all the men that are here and uh, across the room we've got David Cedar hailing from Humble, California next we've got Larry Doremus from New Jersey Ryan Burkholder, who's trying to find himself in between provinces right now. Kyle Dow, originally from Sudbury, now in uh, Squamish, British Columbia. Joe, who is from Barrie, I guess. I don't know if you're... Yeah, you're actually from here. Myself, who's from Ontario in Canada. Chris Hager from California. And Eric Morris from New Jersey. Am I right? 
Jersey. So we got a really beautiful, diverse group of men who are here together who met in 2019 in a a, a one-year fellowship that was called, or mastermind, whatever you want to call it, called Fit for Service that was organized by initially Aubrey Marcus. And we all came together throughout the year doing certain activities, events, and uh, we would it would culminate with these gatherings that were called summits that a lot of people know and go to, but they were really special for us. And it's been three years now since the original cohort, and this is the first time, at least for myself since then, that we've been able to gather people from across the, the land for a, a few days to actually come and connect. And we've been having some very beautiful conversations thus far, and I'm really appreciative for everyone to have made the time to come up from all of their respective places leaving their families their communities for us to come and connect and recharge you also got ryan mullins who's here too uh who's from calgary start to finish right yeah all right uh we don't really have a format to this other than we've been having conversations surrounding a book by adi ashanti called the most important thing that was one of the catalysts that we had as a dialogue initially when we were uh, planning to come up here. But of course, when you come together, that is just one catalyst that opens up uh, a plethora of other conversations. And today we have a different format, one that I haven't seen done, where Larry's brought a game, or it's, it's a card set called Icebreaker Deeper Talk by the Best Self Company that we were going to be using as prompts and... You're going to hear from everyone in different, uh, there's going to be cards that are pulled and the one that resonates with a particular man will lead to first his share and then whatever dialogues that are subsequent to that. Um, all of these are invitations. They're not necessities for anyone to change their life. No part of you needs to change. All of us can always benefit from reconsideration from time to time. I hold a lot of these men's insights, all of them actually, in high regard in different ways. I deeply appreciate their presence and I'm really grateful for this opportunity for us to be connecting. And um, regardless of what you hear, the spectrum of beautiful to at sometimes dark, we embrace them as just potential parts of the human experience and the spectrum that they can exist upon. So if anything does come up that can be difficult for you, please do consider getting support. Uh, reach out to us directly. If there's anyone that in particular said something that really stuck out to you. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll get the first card pulled. Does anyone like to share anything? And I also want to thank you guys all for taking the time and being a part of this experiment. I'll say thank you for not only having us up here, and also clarifying that you you do respect all of our opinions, not just some of ours. That was uh, that sat with me for half a second. I was like, wait a moment. Me too. Which yeah. one of these mother? Am I on this list? My insecurities kicked right up for half a second there. No, but but honestly, thank you for for having us up here. It's it's beautiful. It's great to be surrounded by you know amazing men who are conscious, who are putting in the work, who are doing these things to be in this environment where you're so seen. And it feels really safe to share and get into some of the more vulnerable spots of our ourselves in a container where it just feels not only safe, but right and encouraged. Mm. And that's um, not something we all get to experience 
daily or some of us not even you know fortunate to have that in our lives at all so i count myself blessed to, to have that and i know all of us do as well Beautifully mm-hmm. said. thank you anybody else would like to hop onto the mic at any point like pass it over and... all right uh, yeah anyone want to have any opening shares right you in between you, you know uh I, I appreciate it. I, I'm, you know, I'm, sit, I'm sitting here um, teaching an anger management course in the other room, uh, and I feel a little split, uh, and, but I, you know, uh, I really appreciate just being able to come in and, and, and participate a little bit. But in the spirit of just complete transparency and, and leading to example, is this going to be disruptive if I hop in for 15 minutes every 45 no, or so? Okay. No, man. Yeah, there's, just, there's eight other egos to contribute. There you go. <laughs> well, hey, you guys might be able to talk uh, because I won't be uh, in the room <laughs> filling all the space all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And maybe there's some subjects that you guys are discussing there that you feel would be transferable about continuity of a community for men who are carrying charge anger that's silenced like you were saying ends up expressing itself as rage and there's elements of when men here come and share some of the tougher stuff there's an aspect of them that softens and then that rage doesn't need to be and the anger has a navigability that's a little has a different quality to it well and that's it's really interesting as i just in in the the room with with uh the men talking there um, already talking about the repression of anger you know is a big question it's like i you know people say i'm an angry guy but i don't express anger but i repress anger and then you know and people are sensing that and like what what becomes uh, you know of that um so it's it's interesting the synchronicity of me being in that room and you're already having discussions that are very poignant to to what's happening there and further to that is someone said at least like i'm, I'm in this course but what af- what happens after how do you help me after and, th- and i'm just you know that that almost it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit uh about you know the way society is and just how alone people feel and you know people want to make change um and don't know how to and want support and you know how lucky are we to sit in a room with you know nine other men and and have that support um but so many people in it you know someone just said it a second ago is like um you know don't have that someone yeah oh hey (laughs) crass chris oh okay i don't care what you call it um and and yeah so um i just really find it interesting that that synchronicity of 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 that so Mm -hmm. uh, with that i'll just turn it back yeah thank you man these are the realities getting eight people to be in sync with something is already a a feat but real life is happening simultaneously and just embracing that yeah so uh i think we'll we'll kick it off with mr morris reading the first card and then whoever feels called maybe we just throw our hand up and we'll pass the mic does that work for everyone yeah and Dave? for the first card of the afternoon what widely accepted beliefs need to be dead and buried something's coming to mind for me and i think it it's around masculinity and vulnerability that the man, the, the the masculine can't be vulnerable; it has to repress its feelings, right? I think that that one is really 
like the the traditional viewpoints of masculinity right i think that that's something that needs to be dead and buried i think that there needs to be this new evolving masculine that is balanced and is vulnerable and expressive and able to share love and spread love i feel into that one and able to look cozy in that nice red blanket of yours exactly it's beautiful yeah. <laughs> yeah you can think of a lot of men who are brought up and very early on they they see lack of expression that's emotional and they are asked when they have emotions to silence them and some of them are too big not welcomed put your strong face on and get back to it and a boy who is seeing that emulated in someone who they look up to other boys who also themselves haven't had the permission given to them collectively all grow up then they become these men that are supposed to have now vetted into acting doing behaving in ways that are not allowing the the feelings and the emotions to have an availability to it having strong output being of service and then their partner meets them and their child meets them and they're supposed to have a sensitivity all of a sudden 20 years of or plus years or maybe whatever it is of repressing one of the most important qualities of our humanity that makes us feel anything is demanded by a partner and she grieves as we probably grieve as well too as men around the world do and where we can't where we didn't have permission to feel will unfortunately reach for people, places, things, molecules, acts that makes us feel either the the coping equivalent or some semblance of what feeling is that we have any remote permission to. And so like experiences like this soften us a little back, soften us back a little more where we can feel just a little bit more. I can feel some layers around the shell of my heart peeling back throughout like the moments that I have where I meet eyes that are witnessing me and where I'm feeling vulnerable. And I can only imagine how many men have had zero permissions for this and they get punished for the potential consideration of even doing that, meeting the eyes of another man. Cause if you haven't, it's all competition until that point. You know, and, and, and I just, I really wanted to add, add to that uh, before I head back to the class, but that is incredibly poignant because the biggest injury you know, and teaching these courses for 13 years is, is consistently like, you know, when I look at my classes, the makeup is 90% men, you know, right now I have two women and, uh, probably about, uh, about 12 men in there. And, and it's exactly that, um, you know, the, there's no permission to express pain, anything, anything, any emotion other than anger, right? or kind of happiness, but there's no room for sad. There's no room for injury, you know? And what I see consistently in, in these classes is not only the injury that happens to that individual because they can't express it out, but then the destruction that happens when it has to come out, but it comes out as that rage we were mentioning there because it's repressed. And it's like, it's not repressed anger that turns to rage. It's repressed pain, repressed sadness, repressed fear. And, um, and when we think of that most important thing, you know, what comes to mind is our ability to just feel what is present for us without our own internal judge, um, which that judge is really just an echo of society's judge, 
you know, in a lot of cases, or maybe mom and dads. Um, so I just wanted, yeah, to just kind of add that that thought um, that it's probably one of the the biggest things I think that is causing a lot of challenge in our society today. Yeah, I think um, something that comes up for me is is I'd be curious to what the the group has to say on this, but I, I remember the day my perspective on what a man looks like changes, right? And it happens for all of us at different times, but for me, it really happened at one of our, our first summits when Kyle Kingsbury, who we would all agree is, you know, kind of the archetype epitome of like what a man would look like in terms of like this fighter, this warrior, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's been in the UFC, played football, all these other things. And when I would witness him going up and talking about his kids and just the mention of their name would bring a tear, right? And at that time, I think he only had Bear, but just talking about how, you know, the importance of him being a dad and what he wanted to replicate that his father did and make sure that he never replicated that his father did in stepping into his own fatherhood and being a parent and watching that emotion come from him unapologetic right? It wasn't, I'm sorry for these tears. It was like, here you go. Here's this gift of these tears is really the way I took it. And immediately I was shocked to see that level of vulnerability and honesty. And at the same time, drawn to it, like, holy crap, well, if this guy can do it and, you know, be that out there, then I need to reshape how I'm perceiving how men are, are supposed to be able to act or share in their vulnerability or have this discussion. And it was this weird permission that he gave me just by being him and existing in that feeling. And I think that, you know, a lot of us here probably got a similar feel for that as well and have given each other the container of safety that inevitably bleeds over into our everyday lives where now, you know, I've, I think the last time I like really remember like having a good cry was probably 14 or 15. And then when my kids were born, like tears came up and I was trying to like suck them up like, no, not yet. <laughs> and so to, to have that permission and to see the real strength in what happens when men are vulnerable with their emotions and how much that really is a key to other men unlocking, you know, their own strength by being emotional. And now you cry three times a day and are probably Kleenex's biggest customer. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm due for my second one any time. It's, you know, coincides with my morning bowel movement. I got to have a good one. Got to have a good release here and there. You no, know, no judgment. Do you remember what it felt like the first time you cried again? Yeah, it felt, it felt overwhelming because at that point it was, you know, there was times where I like the tears would come and I would, you know, watch in a movie or something kind of salient that would tug on my heartstrings. And I remember thinking like, not crying. Like my wife is here. I'm like, don't, don't like, again, I had that story of this is a sign of weakness or you're not strong if you do this. And so when it, when it happened with my kids, which I know is, you know, in some ways cliche. And yet that was a part of the experience to have this overwhelming abundance of, love and emotion that I had locked away for so long, I didn't know what to do. It was out of the box and it was so much and it was so big that I felt that same, you know, 
Like I just need to like drop down in a heap and experience it. And yet I was denying myself really going deep into that, that emotion, really like sitting with it and letting it come out. And it was a result of all those years where I felt like I had to repress it. And so, you know, again, flash forward to that, that, that workshop we did with Kyle, I think I went back to my room and literally just sat down in the room and we might've been in Tahoe even. And I just like cried for like 20 minutes. And even then I came out and like, hey, where were you? I was like, taking a nap, definitely not crying. Like, I still wasn't ready to like, you know, come out to the world that I had these emotions. And yet I, part of it is coming out to yourself and identifying it. You were witness to my actual uh, first cry in probably about six years. Yeah. I had repressed kind of all of my feelings and it was in Anahata's yeah, breath work, breath work yeah. that I was kind of given permission to go into some of the trauma bodies and to release them. And the, my release was through tears and it uh i felt like a child where i'd almost get the like i would have trouble breathing because i was crying so hard and it just it felt very um cathartic yeah Yeah. cathartic to just release this i mean i'm talking like i went through really traumatic experiences and just kept to this north jersey like have to be the strong one right like one of my best friends killed himself and literally showed up for everybody and refused to like show that like deeper state of emotion just because I didn't feel comfortable doing it. And then through breath work, I was given the permission to release. Um, and it was now I'm kind of up there with you on a two a day cry. And it's really easy to connect to those emotions. And it just, Oh, what a good feeling it is to have that ability and that capability to just like release when you need to release. Right. And like, think about what that's preventing. Right, we're when we're holding that in, like we're literally making ourselves sick. We're literally like making pain within our body. Yeah. What does that look like in the world when when men, like four point two billion men, a lot of the world is run by a lot of men. What happens in repression? Well, what happens in repression is the state of the world that we exist within now. Yeah where 60% of people in North America have mental ailments, right? Because we're disconnected from things. And if we're disconnected from the emotions we feel, then we're disconnected from the emotions that everybody feel, right? So there's no compassion that could be developed there because we're taught to sever that connection and just sink back into our own experience rather than having the consideration for the collective experience And so I might segue this to a different answer that I have to the same card, which is, so if the question is what widespread belief needs to die, was it, was that right? Um, I would say it's this belief that the only component of our human experience is based in material and form, right? So the physicalist perspective of reality when what we're discovering is there's much more to the human experience, right? So the unseen world of energy, essentially, kind of tying into the more animistic philosophy that is represented by some different indigenous cultures, right? So to know that a tree has a spirit and an energy, and why this is important, because 
it opens us up to the felt experience, right? So we could go out into nature and feel what it's like to be in nature. And if we could feel what it's like to be in nature, then we could feel what it's like internally. And the whole thing is connected, right? It's all about connection, widespread connection to self, others, and nature. And if we get there, how does that change the human experience, both individually and collectively? And I think it brings us to a much more harmonious place where we could find um, flourishing and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. When you say that, I, I picture this guy in, uh, on the, in the financial district and somewhere in the world who's on the 43rd floor and he's hearing this and he's none of it's registering to him like losing masculinity like reframing what masculinity is energy uh change the differences why do i need to change what how does what language has that person who is the least likely to listen to this in the first place have a reconsideration of all of the things and have an openness where they have a rigidity to life that long ago was almost dictated based on how their conditioning was. How do we get a message across to him? How, how do we open up the individual who is, yeah, probably the most closed off right now from reconsideration? Well, it's probably speaking to the pain point. So it's like, where is he not happy in life? And why is he not happy, right? And so it's a reorientation to what actually creates happiness and fulfillment. And again, I think it is connection. And if somebody's so programmed and rigid in their life experience as they know it, then they actually have to step out of that environment. And we see the rise in plant medicine right now. And that's something that can pretty quickly change somebody's worldview, right? So it is a, it is a belief system and a rigid worldview that keeps people trapped in their own suffering, right? So I, I don't have precise language at this moment but i would say like what are you struggling with and does it need to be such a struggle can we change it um just to expand on that so i actually share your belief and completely agree with you and we've talked about this a lot before but um what my answer would be to this card and and what i'm seeing more and more of all the time is like what I'd like to see is like our approach to exercise and like our relationship we have with our bodies. And it's like, how do we apply the philosophy that you're talking about? Like having more of a, an intention of feeling rather than like the material. So it's not about like building a six pack abs or like, it's not about, you know, bodybuilding. That's one version of exercise, but it's a very small version of many others. Right. And so like, can we have reverence for the gift that our body is can we take time to feel what's present in the body? Whether it's like, whether it's through breath work, whether it's through some movement, whether it's through some strength training, whether it's through some yoga, but it's like what's helped me most is kind of changing my relationship to exercise, changing my relationship to my body and seeing it differently where it's like, that's the thing I'd like to see culture shift a little bit too, where it's like fitness isn't just what we see on the advertisements for Lululemon and Nike. Like that's just a small, small section like exactly exactly like what true fitness is is like your commitment to your vehicle that you're going through this life in you know what i mean and taking care of that vehicle and improving the ride that you're on through the vehicle that that you're in right and so how, how do you incentivize body feeling while people are doing this thing called bodybuilding and when we're talking about fitness adding the component of the felt how do you how do you envision that I think in a word, it's mindfulness. 
So just being mindful of what the body is telling you, the language that it speaks, um, and also how you can communicate back with it. Like the body doesn't speak English, right? It speaks in a different language. And so can we start to learn that language and start to speak and have more of a dialogue with it? And so it's like exercise isn't just about like, all right, come on, you fucking pussy. Like, let's fucking go. You know, it's not a workhorse. Our body's not a workhorse that we can just drive into the ground. I mean, it is if we treat it that way, but what's our experience going to be like if we do, you know, can we, can we treat it like, you know, we would the dog that we love where we're like training behaviors that we want and caring for it and feeding it and getting it the structure that it needs and all that sort of stuff. And so just seeing it in a more loving, caring way, going back to what you're talking about, this is how I view it through the body, just through my work and my experience in athletics and all of that, where it's like, that's one way in to what you're talking about that I think a lot of us, myself, I'll speak for, is like, I got that wrong for a long time, where it was more about the appearance, the aesthetics, the performance. And then eventually my body stopped appreciating exercise. Exercise wasn't the problem. It was my approach to the exercise, you know? So that's how, what I would like to see change or shift in North American culture specifically, is that our, our approach to fitness is very, very narrow and limited. And, and you touched on uh, on mindfulness, which is you know a common theme that we've been we've been talking about a lot, and especially you mentioned you know Western culture, North America, and I feel like a lot of the way we transact our lives is very transactional, you know, and we've lost the mindfulness in, in the micro moments in our life, you know, and we look at people in this weird, like if somebody's you know, you're going to get a cup of coffee. You don't, do you really see that person, you know, and, and, and try to understand like what their story is and be open to receiving that person and just hearing them, you know, if they have something to tell you, just listening with true intention. And I feel like a lot of that is also missing in our culture, you know, so we've lost connection to our body. We've lost connection to nature and we've lost connection to each other. And, you know, we've taught ourselves it's okay to just not see all these people who you think are unimportant in your life, but everyone's important. Every moment's important because, you know, you see how chaotic the world is getting now. It's like, who knows if these are our last moments? So if we can just kind of harness that energy and find a way to, to really be in every moment in life, you know, I think like all of these modalities can solve some of our problems and they sound easy on the surface but they take work you know each and every one of these take work and intention oh you know yesterday when we were talking we were sitting here we were speaking about um, deconstructive clarification right so we were removing the things that were in the way of if we were looking for something in particular at least recognizing what shouldn't be there brought greater clarity on what should and it sounds like a reprioritization of what life can be and arguably should be uh, because a lot of it we were told what life needs to be that we're all upholding and we all have a, a relative world consensus agreement and a lot of it lacks the things that are the appears to be the most nutritional aspects of what the life experience is which i feel like you're highlighting so that reprioritization is a is a really big one mm. Let's uh, let's move on to another card. 
Yes, sir. That was that was only twenty two minutes on that one. That's yeah, we'll try to keep it. We'll try to keep it to fifteen minutes. How does that sound? So we can kind of get through a couple way, different topic, topics because some of these cards might get a little heavy. Yeah. So let's go with. Uh, let's give it to Dave to read. I'll pass it across for oh, Dave he's to read. Yeah, he's, he's oh, he's moderator. He's All right. Yeah. Okay. Next <laughs> Is that a pass? Who or what was the one that got away? Touchy one, huh? All of your married men will everyone's not answer that question. Everyone, <laughs> everyone's partner leans in a little more. The like, <laughs> you got the ripples of that one throughout the cosmos. Yeah. Somewhere in my life is like, mm-hmm. Elodie, I'm so sorry, but. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll talk to that one. How to quiet eight men very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is one that I'd be curious. I'm, I'm excited to hear about your guys' experience. Um, but it was a recurring theme, is a recurring theme for me in my life. Um, and I think every year I come back to this experience um, and my perspectives that have, my perspective, perspective has grown uh, with time. Um, and that was my experience with my first like true intimate love um, in, at university. We were together for about four and a half years. Um, and... Um, I felt like I grew out of the relationship because I needed a lot more. Um, but after it ended, I experienced this, uh, this grieving um, and this like desire of wanting that relationship back. Um, even though in retrospect, I know it couldn't have ever worked because I had so much to do um, and experiences to have in life um, that my soul was calling me forward on a very, very different path. Um, but what I discovered is um, the one that got away is the one that taught me um, some really, really important lessons around uh, love and family. Um, and so what was a painful experience in the beginning um, became uh, more of a, um, a reflective um, practice of, of gratitude because um, I came from a family that didn't have a lot of, um, um, of affection physically and emotionally, not a lot of presence. And, um, so what this person was and what they represented to me, um, was the first like really clear model of that. And so what I was desiring or what I felt like got away, um, was this, this connection to, to love and acceptance. And then I had to rediscover that, uh, on my own throughout life, but it was a real blessing to have experienced it. So, yeah. That's beautiful, man. Uh, my heart is beating fast, so I know it means I have to say this. It's my dog, man. Like, and he didn't get away. I had to release him because um, he was only two years old, and it's very recent. Um, he's such an active, hurting breed that even two to three hours a day was not enough for him. And I felt so much guilt that he wasn't able to live his best life. And I knew that by bringing a child into the world, it was going to get even worse. It was causing tension between my partner and I. And it was like, I love that dude so much. But what was so, it it literally feels like he was a gift to like open me up. And I was his gift. And then it was like, we could release each other to go do what we have to do. 
And uh, when I say he's in a better place now, like I'm not lying, we we navigated it slowly and stably and the world presented people and other dogs where he found a new home where he's got like four other dog siblings and it's doing all the things all the time. Um, so it's like, it's heartbreaking, but paradoxically so beautiful. Um, but yeah, that was the what or the who that got away from me. And I'm glad that you clarified like that you gave him to another home rather than put him down. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would never, I would have struggled through my life before I would have let him die, but it was, it seemed the higher consciousness move for everyone was mm -hmm. to, to release him in that way. Mm -hmm. Rather than struggle through it and, and have multiple people struggling with that. Yeah. Moving on to the next card. Is that the first tier. Well, I, I have I have one real quickly that I think is is relevant to add to it. I didn't want to segue out and mm -hmm. acknowledging that it kind of ties in that as a, a man who I feel sacrificed a lot of my twenties for school uh, and that journey, the the pursuit of a thing, the who is me from my twenties, and. Um, I would have loved to have spent more time with that guy. I would have loved to um, be present with him, have him go to sleep a little earlier. And uh, I know why, in addition to the school, why he went away. Like when I, when I was 20, I don't know if all you guys know, but I had a tumor in my neck. And uh, I was so terrified of being with the feeling and the surrounding, the possibility of me dying. And it was around the time that uh, Adam Yacht from the Beastie Boys had died from the same tumor that he refused to get treatment for. So there was a person that I really looked up to. I love their music and then he dies and I'm going through the same thing as him. So I was for all the treatments and I checked out from the feeling because every time I did, I was feeling the sense of impending death within my body, the possibility of that. And I took on a story that the world didn't want me because of that. So when people would ask me what the future looked like, I didn't, have an answer for my 30s because I didn't think I was going to be there. Children off the table, partner in the future that I marry off the table because that dialogue of who had a had a deadline at that time, according to that story. And uh, I took on a the path of because I didn't feel like I was well supported in that role of uh, the biggest fear I had of losing life with the tumor in my neck that uh, I wanted to go into medicine to be the doctor that uh, was able to provide that reassurance and do the things that brought people that peace and see them in that moment. And yeah, I, it took me almost till age 31 to reconnect back to that guy again. And it was the use of medicines that have you shift your perspective. It was, it was that important, that necessary. But during that time when I would reach into those medicines, those are the only glimpses that I had about reconnecting to the appreciation of the individuals that I had. Otherwise, I was just scanning the world to find a way to survive or to not feel that disgust and pain. And I'd look back in my 30s and say, fuck, I missed all of my 20s. One, because of the endeavor of what med school demands, but the other one was because of my fear of the experience that I had, that I didn't have the permission to feel through the, and I felt relatively unsupported with the tumor experience. 
and that's the who and if to answer the what was probably even before that from when i was a kid a lot of the moments had been robbed because i couldn't have the intertwining feelings available as well too i was asked to be a boy that grew up into an adolescent young male then to a teenager and then uh i was a man apparently when i was 14 people calling me doctor already i didn't want to be that but when a condition is instilled the moments are often robbed the the ability to be immersed and a lot of parents though well intended rob that from the children because of the demand of what they're expected to be at when they're 18 plus but four-year-old little boy or little girl is then asked to be anything other than who they want to be in that moment and so the what that was lost was the moments many of them and that's this is not I, I understand we're coming we're in a place of incredible privilege also where we're at and there's some people that this can be the until their last breath but the what is many moments that i think by doing work like this we recapture the capacity for maybe embracing and reconnecting to some moments that weren't available before but also setting a precedent for the capacity for them now and moving forward Now I feel like we need to take you on like a, a week trip where we go everywhere from like age five to like <laughs> 25, you know? So we'll start at the zoo yeah. and then we'll go, illegal. we'll go next day. We'll go on some roller coasters and somehow we'll like wind up at a frat party. So you can have your whole like spectrum of experience of one week. Yeah. Chad will show up. Eric's alter ego, Chad. Chad keeps waving this white bag. Chad's six year old me. Billy Madison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, appreciate that, guys. Who's what's? Uh, if anyone doesn't have anything more to add, there. See what's next. Bow. What beliefs have you adopted from other people that don't serve you now? Almost all of them. I mean, I, I'll kick off this one, and it sort of related to the first topic, the first card that we were talked about, but just growing up in a very Irish Catholic home where my, I was raised by a single mother, and I was taught early on as a very empathetic child, didn't really understand all the emotions that I would have constantly, because I was able to feel other people's emotions and, and feel into them, and that's obviously a lot for a kid. And so when you're six and seven years old and you know, you get around your godfather, he's like, what are you crying for all the time? Stop crying, like man up. And you start to hear some of those stories that we were talking about earlier. It was, it became very clear that I was really allowed two emotions and, and uh, Ryan Mullins talked about this. It was, I could either be happy or I could be angry. I could be too angry and you could be, like those were the two. So I felt limited in this spectrum of what I had access to because that was explained to me, right? Boys don't cry. We don't do this. We don't do that. You're like, you can't, can't grieve. You can't go into sorrow or disgust or anger. Like your face fires too bad. You're the man. Go fucking kill that thing. Rehome it, right? Like these are the things that you have to do as a man. 
And I realized that I really locked my heart away for a long time. And, and that's why I didn't access those feelings or why I didn't go into them. And I, part of me knew, especially as in my late twenties, early thirties, that this is not serving me. And yet I felt like a rat in a maze. Like I don't see the bigger picture. I don't know how to get to this wheel of emotional cheese where I can experience all of these things and, and have that on the spectrum. And it was again, yeah, that tie back to when I saw it displayed and getting that permission. And then all of a sudden that story of seeing all the times, because my mom would do the same thing. Like she was fantastic and she raised me, you know, pretty much by herself. And I've, as a father now, I see the weight of that when my wife goes out of town for a week. And, you know, at the end of that week, I'm like, I'm exhausted. And that was like my mom for, you know, 18 years, right? So I could imagine the level of exhaustion and I see what she was trying to do, which was not share her emotions or her pain so that she thought it wouldn't carry over to me. And yet as a child, I could hear her in her room with the door locked crying and talking to other people. And that was really confusing as a kid to not understand exactly what those tears were about. To not be able to comprehend how to help her. And so I stepped into this role that was more like, like a spouse or a partner where like my reaction was, well, I got to be really funny for my mom because I need to bring her out of this. Or I'm going to vacuum the whole house because she loves it when I do that. I'm going to do the dishes and I'm going to try to do all these other things to make my mom happy. And yet those are you know, making her life maybe easier, but it wasn't treating her pain. And when you see somebody in pain and you don't understand what that access point was to it, like what is the cause or what is the trigger? I think a lot of times as kids, we take that on and we go, well, it's something I did, right? So as a child, there was this confusion of, oh, I'm not being perfect or I'm not, I did something wrong. Which still... <clears throat> To this day, I, <clears throat> I feel back into that child and it feels, feels heavy to think about those things. And I have this strange sense of gratitude now to have gone through that because I think all of us here would, whether we embrace it fully or not, we're all healers. And we give other permission to heal themselves to go through that. And I think the majority of people who step into that in any kind of capacity have gone through some of the most fucked up shit that you can go through. And it's so you can relate to people when they come into your life, not from a place of, oh, I'm perfect and I've always been happy. More, I process these things. Here's how I've worked through them. I don't know if this is your roadmap and yet you can get through it. And yet there is hope because there's this feeling of isolation that we all shared even last night where you said like, I feel like I'm the only one going through this with, mm -hmm. you know, when it's something about, you know, a spouse or a friend or this or that, we can feel alone. And yet just this conversation is, is opening to some people. Just this conversation is triggering other people's triggers to look deeper within themselves. And so to be able to have a discussion like this and continue to process things from, you know, 39 years ago, and have that well up is is continuing to move through those things and i feel like we can 
you know, we can help ourselves. We could sit with that, you know, five, six year old version of Chris and give him some love and give him some empathy and explain those stories a little bit to remove some of that pain and some of that trauma. And, and a lot of that's just done through the ability to talk to somebody, anybody. All right. All right. Now we're back. We've got one more that's joining us. Sevi from initially uh, Chicago, but now he hails from California. Um, we're going to be picking up where we left off, where Eric was moderating, pulling up cards. We had a little technological blip that we've coasted through. The rest of it should be smooth. We're going to have one more joining us, Ryan Mullins, full time in about half an hour. Um, how are you gents all feeling right now? Alive, maybe. Yeah? All right. All right. So we're going to drop back in. And something I think that's really powerful like, is thinking of purpose outside of ourselves. You know, we're having a beautiful dialogue. Uh, there's some men, I have a presumption that may be listening to this for the first time. And when they're hearing eight or nine men together where some conversations float on certain subjects that are the threads of connection that's available for them could be sports work life in general i like a lot of the deep subjects that we've been and concepts that we've been discussing so have some of those men in mind who are being invited in for the first time as a consideration because this could be a possibility in their homes uh, that they could be organizing as well too it doesn't have to just be conversations that they listen into and drop in from a distance but it could also be ones that they host or go uh organize together and sometimes that can be really difficult but the the benefits can be ultimately so amazing when uh, men do come together in person wow. that was a very manly source <laughs> <laughs> right there <laughs> all right so that context or else <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect timing actually so it's good all right, so Eric's going to read the next one. We're going to drop in really um, with a simple question, and it's very surface level. So I just want you all to think about this next one. It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't touch real deep. What do you think the meaning of life is? <laughs> the meaning of life. Um, I think it's something completely subjective, and mm -hmm. so I it's it's a koan, right? It can't. It's a question that has no true answer. But what is really important is that each person does find something that is meaningful to them, right? So the book that comes to mind is *Man's Search for Meaning*, and in there there is the the Nietzsche quote, or however you like to say his name, that he who has a why can endure anyhow, right? So in this great mystery of life, like we, nobody actually has a clue what is going on. We're trying to approximate the truth and reality, but we can't actually do it because we're not privy to the full information of our experience or the universe. So we're just making it up as we go. So what are the things that are meaningful to us that allow us to persevere through the hardships of being human? Because if you don't have that thing, 
and it's just like senseless suffering, then what's the point? But if there is something that's truly meaningful, I think a really good example is like connection through family relationships or something greater than ourself that allows us to show up in those challenging times. For an unanswerable question, that was pretty fucking good, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who else would like to drop in on that? Yeah, I'll pop in on that. You can easily use that mic. Oh, yeah, fine. yeah, we'll use that one. With lie on top of Eric. Um, yeah, I think to bounce off of what Kyle said, I, I, I definitely view life as this empty, meaningless experience until we make the meaning out of it. And so I think the, the guiding star is to really understand what, what is of importance, right? As we were discussing yesterday, what's the most important thing? And there is no one important thing. It's very, very subjective. And I think that that's one of the greatest paths to walk in life is the understanding what meaning that you're going to make out of it essentially and and that's for each person it's so different it's so unique and that sculpts the beauty of the collective human experience is that each person their meaning is so different and so that's that way we have all these different perspectives and it's like wow well, that's really interesting your take on this specific thing i never thought about it that way and it's like oh well it's because i find this meaningful or I've created meaning out of this. Um, so it's, yeah, just kind of a little piggyback off of what you said, Kyle. And it's, I think that really gives a lot of freedom and sovereignty where it's like, Oh, I get to, I get to make this up. I get to make up whatever I want out of this human experience. And like, I don't have to be, you know, um, uh, subjected to someone else's, you know, influence or someone else telling me like, Oh, this is how you should do things. I mean, how many people end up walking a path that is based upon what their parents tells them or society tells them, and they get midway through and they're like, what the fuck is the meaning? I've never even considered it for myself because I've made meaning out of what someone else told me I should. And, uh, and, I, and I think that like, there's a really beautiful opportunity for us to invite in for whether it's other men listening or individuals is like, craft your own meaning. Like really, like what, like when you close your eyes and you feel in to the things that really inspire you or touch you it's like are you doing enough of that are you cultivating and walking a path of those things that are um are meaning are meaning making to you um and that's a, a really beautiful thing to ponder so mm -hmm. yeah. way to drop in and start with that as you join us for the second half of this <laughs> podcast good, good to be here yeah dude because something that make oh uh, why don't you go ahead uh just uh quick like tying those two in meaningful life rather than defining what meaning is as if it's hiding behind a tree or under a rock that we were to discover the the way that we share what meaning is you said really well that we need to deconstruct very often or at least reassess what we were defined or invited into thinking that life is in the first place mm -hmm. so we can rediscover and have meaningful moments that we were connected deeply to and that we it was threads that we also wanted to be connected to and uh, that reclamation has the individual who's knocking in their last breaths, in their last moments, considering was the experience of my life meaningful and really feeling into that as an appreciation for the opportunity that was finite that we all get to have. And like, again, just one of the common threads, is like brotherhood is all very meaningful to us, right? Or else we wouldn't have said yes to this experience. 
because like this is probably one of the most meaningful moments that we'll have throughout the course of the year ultimately mm-hmm. you know because it's it has such a it, it, it's so special it's so unique it's so novel because it took a lot of energy and right like, you're not gonna really put in ener- energy into something that isn't meaningful to you mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. is anybody here out of obligation Oh, you, you pressured me pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> Is anybody here to get away from something at home? No. no. So we're here out of choice and out of nurturance because there's a quality of something that means deeper, and it's usually the meaning is beyond the words. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to expand on what everybody said so far is like the question – massive question what's the meaning of life but like for me i zone in on the the one word of life right and so like to be alive and to be here for the experience of being alive and like as humans we have the skill of not being here and we can choose that or we can choose to be here so like the brotherhood the connection the presence all these things are tools for us to be alive and to be present for the aliveness that life is and so um yeah, like that, the book, we talked about this on, on our podcast together. And the why for me was always misinterpreted for like achievement. Like I had to make it count, had to make it mean something by like doing, right? But then later I've come to understand and been looking at it in a different way where the why is more of a way, a way of being. And that's present. That's, you know, all of those things so that I'm here for the life that exists. And that for me is like the, the true meaning is to be as alive as possible so that life has the meaning. Opting in instead of opting out. Exactly. Right, which means showing up for all of it. And I think we tend to be selective in our experience. It's like, oh, I want this part of the experience of being human, but I don't want this part. So I'm going to like pursue the hedonistic aspects of life, which is like feeling good. White, right pleasure seeking rather than recognizing that the hardships are part of it too mm-hmm. so fully showing up for all of it I just wanted to drop something that it would be quick um, but it relates to everything you guys are saying especially the being it's sort of like a zen story of like this disciple goes to the master and the master's like hey look out there and tell me what you see he's like I see mountains and I see rivers right and then the, the master's like okay go away not that the answer is not good enough come back so comes back a couple years later he's like what do you see he's like i see myself and everything he's like okay but come back so a few years later comes back and he's like what do you see i see mountains and i see river right and so it's almost that like the being factor it's like we're we're searching for something when it's actually just there so the meaning is the being in it of itself yeah and we all get to experience like when we're saying meaning of life there's life and non-life uh, arguably so during that life the spectrum of embracing all the human experiences that are available to us being the orgasm and all the way to the spectrum of being the most disgusting heinous thing are all of the sp- uh, aspects of humanity that encompasses the experience of life that's available to us and meaning of life is uh, I, I really think it's difficult for us to define early on but it, you take a really good inventory and checkpoints that you can actually uh, reflect on it and it seems to be like if if an individual my meaning of life is very different than what you probably see my meaning of life to be 
because of the idiosyncratic reflections that we have of ourselves, meeting with life experience and condition as well too and it's hmm. well all all i can think about right now is honestly joe is imminently going to be having a child come to this world through him and his partner and this thought of meaning of life is this grace of the continuity of it that comes through us that we find value arguably in the substance of what our life experience is if we were to define it or summarize it and then life comes through us and this inflection point happens for people who have had children that they find purpose outside of themselves and that redefines and recalibrates meaning to such a greater depth because there's life that is a part of you that came through you and now is in continuity you being that guide and that that's almost like polluting my mind because this during this weekend we've been talking so much about um the, the impact that we have as men when we're relatively conscious and unconscious and then what impact that can have on reclaiming our own stories especially things that happened during our childhood and how that can be incredibly incredibly empowering for future guidance towards children who I feel parenting is the most important role on earth because you are defining what conditions which are an inevitability for that child to either experience an embrace of their life as being meaningful or the way that they become so conditioned that life can feel meaningless. And that child is going to have the permission to see that or not have access to that, at least temporarily, based on what type of invitation the parents and the world that they're existing in brings forward. Just to add to that too, and like to go back to what we're talking about as well, like to, to relate it back to Viktor Frankl and his philosophies and how he was a Holocaust survivor, right? And then what that quote actually it it made a lot more sense to me or like it became even more meaningful for me when I heard Esther Perel talk about her experience of her parents surviving the Holocaust. And she described like two different camps that survived the Holocaust, people that survived the Holocaust and people who got back, who, who came back to life after the Holocaust. And it was like the state of surviving versus being alive were two different things that she differentiating. And so what you're talking about is the connection through life of our children and our family, the connection of our brotherhood. Like for me, that's the aliveness. That's the richness of life. The survival is a means to that feeling of being alive and they're not equal things. And so it's like that differentiation between surviving and being alive and like life is an opportunity to be alive and it's not a guarantee. So That's a, uh, <clears throat> it's a great place to, I think that's a great place to transition to the next card. Oh, we no, could... Someone has an important thing. You good? Yeah. All right. What do you love about yourself that you worry others will struggle to accept? Larry. <laughs> Larry's turning um, bright red and yeah. gushing. <laughs> You know, it's funny because um, I've gotten super comfortable in my awkwardness in a sense. You know, it's like I'm very hyper aware of the fact that like I'm kind of just an awkward dude. And it was something that 
I think I, I was challenged with, you know, growing up, um, you know, maybe sometimes the way I process the world and um, I had it, not the best ability to translate thought into word. It's always been something I've struggled with. Um, but now as I've like kind of fallen into my own being and understand like who I am, that like part of me never really shed. You know, there's always a part of me I'm like, oh, well, if I just get better with language, like I'll be less awkward. And the reality is like, no, that is just a part of my like energetic signature. But I'm also aware of the fact that at times like it can be off putting, you know, because like people like groundedness and calm and I don't necessarily always embody that. I appreciate people who embody that. This group of men here actually do a good job of embodying that, um, which helps me kind of find my own calm, groundedness and, and, and healthy expression of that type of awkwardness. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that is an element of myself that I've learned to love. I spent a lot of my life not loving. And now, you know, <clears throat> I've realized it's, it's a lot easier in a group of, of people who are open and aware. Um, even more challenging when you go back to, you know, the, if, if you want to call it the matrix, you know, the, pe the, the, the normal uh, way of life. Um, but I found that it opens doors to allow other people's awkwardness to come out. It's almost like an invitation. So it's like, oh, okay, well this guy's a little weird, so it's okay, I can, I can move a bit weird and, and be awkward too. Let that free flag fly. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's something that's been repressed for a long time and as, as I've like stepped into it more, I've, I've realized it is an invitation and I have the most interesting moments, you know, if I'm like, I won't get into stories, but you know, it, it has become an invitation. I would love a story, but maybe that's for post podcast. <laughs> I want to dive into that more. Yeah. I think, um, I think for me, something that I'm continually discovering is there's certain things that present themselves to me in life that I know I want to do. And I don't care what anybody else says about them. I'm going to do them. And I feel like I have developed or innately have this gift to be able to listen to that voice inside of me that says, oh, yeah, this is a terrible idea. We should do it. Like, <laughs> I know this is going to piss off my mom and my dad. Or I know this is, you know, my friends aren't going to see it this way. Or I know that this is, you know, it's going to have a hard time, you know, for some people some people are going to have a hard time with their ability to digest this. And yet it feels so right. And so true that when that it hits this like point where I'm just so self-assured in that moment. And I don't feel like I spend my life in that space. I'm learning to listen to that call more and more and address those things and stepping into my truth as one of the most important things. We talked about it last night as my truth from a space of love. And, and compassion, not like, fuck you world, I'm doing this, I don't care, but kind of like, fuck you, I'm doing this, with, fuck you with love, <laughs> but I am doing this thing because it feels, it feels right for me, and it feels true, <laughs> fuck you <laughs> with love, Hager. <laughs> Make sure there's a comma there, because if you just say fuck you fuck with you love, love. Yeah. fuck you with love without the comma. That was a great that album. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah absolutely. If there's one that I, I think is really important for me to say that um, we're on the cusp of, it has legal implications currently in the dialogue that 
for me, I, I owe a great deal of thanks to plant medicines, psychedelics. And I love that the system that I had such difficulty breaking through to feel again and resolve a lot of the parts of myself that was creating a repressive hurt life with pain that I was carrying forward. These medicines that have been villainized and uh, put out to be something a lot more dangerous than they truly are were truly my liberators. And it's not that they solved me, but they created avenues for me to reclaim connection with myself. And I love, and I can remember I, touching moments that especially you share with individuals that brought me back to life in a way that it destroys me thinking how many people around the world still carry the lack of access to something that within four to six hours can open them back up to life. And it's terrifying for me to say that because I know that being in the role of a healthcare practitioner in Canada for now, uh, speaking, admitting that I have done psychedelics, mushrooms, molecules like DMT, plants like ayahuasca, makes my heart flutter right now thinking that there's a governing body that says what you're doing is horrible, like is wrong and illegal. When if anyone who even considers that, if you were to sit with these medicines, you would see what liberation is available, not just for yourself, but for the entire country that you're representing. And it terrifies me to say this, but I feel like it's a necessity for us to all consider that like, our, our, our world is hurting because we don't have access to some things and we're thinking to, through so much of life. But plant these plants, which go not where you want to go, but where you need to go, open us back up to softening the mind and back into the heart. And that's what the world needs. We're also victims of generation of generations of uh, fear, and I mean, look at what they did to, you know, Ramdas, for example, right? Like opening it up scares the masses. It reminds me of this Sturgill Simpson song, and he has some words in Turtles All the Way Down that says, you know, some say you might go crazy, but then again, you might make you go sane. Yeah, dude. If you if you think about how much of us carry coping mechanisms throughout the day, is there not a sense of insanity that we carry that when there are the opportunities to soften that in such an effective way? Of course, doing it in a very respectful, intentional way. A lot of these men here can be your guides on what doing it in working with these type of medicines in a way that has you prepare process experience and integrate it in an effective way that has safety throughout of course, nothing is guaranteed, but there is a high likelihood that an individual comes softer with greater presence, more ability to love and to be of service to this world. And that's, again, what's necessary until then mental health suffers, the individual life experience suffers, and then the earth, the world, future generations as a whole suffer as well. And we can get past the generations of programming, the generations of uh, what we're supposed to be. Within just a couple of hours, we can break down boundaries that, that have been created, you know. I think it's important to drop the Krishnamurti quote right now, which is, it's no measure of wellness to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And it's no measure of wellness to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. 
And that's what we're talking about right now. And everybody kind of, everybody wants to fit in for survival reasons, right? Survival instincts, but it's going to take people stepping away from that norm in demonstrating what's possible mm. at the potential risk of their own persecution in order to liberate others, right? And we actually have a great collection of way showers here who have boldly stepped into the non-conventional to live in our own authenticity and to go through our own process of liberation. And I think that's where it starts in these different uh, plant medicines or sacraments, depending on the context. And I think the context is really important. Show us the way to that deeper connection to self, others, and nature, right? In that expansiveness and that recognition of connection that is telling of the human experience is what's going to move us forward. But I also think that we could speak to it with a little bit uh, more excitement, right? Because we are in a psychedelic renaissance. We can't deny that. Like things are shifting. Things are changing. The consciousness is changing. It's, you know, in the States is getting, is going legal from city to city. And, and people are waking up. The data is there. You know, the Johns Hopkins data is there. Like we are coming into a place in this world where that is going to be the norm, hopefully. And if we can continue to push this message, like maybe one day we are treating depression with psilocybin. Maybe one day we are treating MDMA for soldiers with, or uh, PTSD with MDMA for soldiers that are coming home from war and not just throwing them into a, a psych ward or leaving them out, you know, to commit suicide. Apparently Australia just legalized yesterday as well, right? So for MDMA and so, I believe yeah, and psilocybin. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think it's really important here again, though, to come back to context. Like if these plant medicines, which they are, become whitewashed or colonized by the models that exist or the structures and organizations that exist, then we're actually doing a disservice, right? So if we take the spirit out of spirit medicine, then we're missing the mark. Right, because then it just becomes another sedative, like all the other things that we rely upon, like alcohol and tobacco. And the, mo the most relevant example is, is cannabis. And so cannabis is like a powerful plant medicine that has a spirit that is a teacher. And traditionally it was used in ceremony and we don't apply it that way anymore. And so people are just smoking it as another method of escape, opting out rather than opting in. Right. And if we were to do that in a ceremonial context, it would open us up to the magic of this human experience. Right. Rather than dulling the magic of the human experience. Makes me wonder if the government really did an inventory of what it wanted to have its population experience. Was it withering and coping in the name of consumerism and capitalism in some way? Or is it a connection to life felt healed where the mental health burden if it is uh is softened because right now in the name of a dollar if they were thinking it would actually be net beneficial to alleviate the burden on the individuals who eventually will seek services mm -hmm. and if we have things that are natural that invites people back to their own nature that what what a gift because the spirit that is that is longing to reconnect with us is being pacified with the majority of molecules that are currently legal. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't think the government is that intentional in their thought process. Well, we can invite them into because government is entity, but government is an entity that's ran by individuals. And if the individuals think as an individual rather than the entity, they reconnect to having a relational consideration for the people that they're representing because that's what their role is in the first place. Yeah, and, and I unfortunately don't have much... Um, hope in the people at the top that are calling the shot so i don't think it's going to be like a top-down movement i think it's going to be a bottom-up movement right but we're a bunch of, like, of men under 50 that are leading away yeah the role, in 20 years you know we could be in positions of power that create and shift change and so as we like as it as the scale grows right and as the web weaves wider what like the years that we progress forward we're going to have more control to actually implement this change right and so like the desire aspiration for power might actually be counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve because we're kind of looking for like lateral leadership rather than centralization and so what that brings us to is each leading the way within our own community and kind of something i was speaking about last night is creating a community that has a culture because we lack culture so creating our own culture what do we want that to look like and what can we pass on to the next generation so that culture continues to propagate in a way that creates equity and sustainability and meaning yeah hey if a lot of people are having challenges with the governing bodies that currently are the ones who make the biggest decisions for this the world that we live in rather than I, again i want to say like we can go create a new community and try and set up all this stuff but i feel that we can change it here make a 20-year commitment to going into government yourself and consider going all the way through and upholding the integrity and the philosophies that you have and where you find barriers through your governmental process of rising to the the illusion of top that could be a massive precedent that we consider it's just a lot of uh, probably the people that are beating the biggest drum are wanting to stay as the pawn in the chest that you want to stay at the front where you have to be the rook you have to be the queen and maybe eventually you become the queen and the king in a way that you can truly make that decision because that's still how the hierarchy of decisions are made and i feel that government can be reclaimed when the the soul of the individual is what's represented through this bigger entity again and then molecules like this are are reconsidered for the efficacy that it can have in this world but we're also shifting, we're in a place where we're shifting religious dynamics, right? And we're feeling the rise of spirituality and we're feeling the, uh, you know, the, the Catholic church is, is coming out of prevalence, right? All of these religious aspects are shifting, right? And more so than ever, uh, men and women aged, you know, 19 to 35 are searching for something, right? They're searching for something to connect to. And within the spirituality component, I think that there is a big part that is plant medicine driven. So as I think the younger generation starts to move forward with their spirituality teachings, like this work is going to come hand in hand. Like the data is telling us that like Jamie will talks about that and is opening to recapture the rapture about like how the, this rise of spirituality is going to hopefully, um, you know, shift collective consciousness, right? That's, that's the goal. If we can, shift collective consciousness to open people's mind to using and i say sustainable plant medicine um 
I think that we're really in a, in a good place to facilitate this change where I'm very optimistic that this is going to happen and, and like trying to lead in my own community with love. Um, if we all embrace that concept, I think it, it becomes very um, contagious. It's cool. Eric, you said a lot of stuff, what I just wanted to say, where it's, it's acting small, but thinking long-term, right? Like so often we want the change right now, but it's happening, right? Like the, the wave starts from below the surface, right? So it's like, it is happening. This younger generation, guys like us, we do want this. And it's ironically or not ironically, it was after my own mushroom ceremony that I realized my way to, to provide to the political spectrum is to start local. Because those are the people that inevitably are going to want to be the congressman or the MP here, right? So that's the long game. It's like, can I support someone that I feel is open and curious and, and here for the people at this level? And, and then they can rise up from there rather than trying to pick between the two, you know, I don't want to say puppets, but the two people that were just sort of left to choose with at the top, right? And we still have to make that choice too. But yeah, I always try to think a little bit a little bit more in what can I just do right now rather than think about shifting the whole thing at once. So that's why I like what you're saying, Eric, about it's happening. And I can't wait for one elected official and it could be in any form of government to not run away from the question, right? Like, yeah. I think we're all familiar with like, have you done drugs only once, but didn't inhale <laughs> right now? When's that elected leader going to step up and be like, Hey, actually I healed some ancestral trauma with a deep ayahuasca journey that I went to the jungle to do. And it actually made me a better person. And like, like yeah. how are we going to argue that? You hear what Grant Hancock says about that? No. He's like any president of the United States should have to go through 12 ayahuasca ceremonies oh, to even be considered. Absolutely. And again, that's a long-term game, right? Someone who's just done some work and asked some questions. Yeah, dude. But all we're calling out, and if any of you aspiring politicians are listening, please just admit that you have healed some really amazing shit with the plants and then go on to create, go be a governor. Hey, dude, maybe, there, maybe there's deep pain in knowing that the leadership roles that we have right now are voted rather than rites of passage that have you going up. And that may create an inauthenticity to the person who goes to the next step and recognizes long ago that they had to subscribe to a game rather than the, the game of life. Mm -hmm. And that, that pain may be so difficult that by the time they get there, they're so terrified of being ostracized if they are to consider that game of life once again. And that's a, probably what the consensus agreement is with most people who are in places of decision-making roles. But if we were to look at indigenous type communities, the, the leaders the, are, are people who have gone through the rites of passage that they are now representing to a greater degree. And so they have the continuity of consideration that the decision that I make now or the decision that I don't make, the things that I say or the things that I don't say, I know what that can feel like to a greater degree. And that relational capacity has them make decisions that are governing and like connected. Because right now there's governing that is highly disconnected and you have very few that shake their heads in agreeance and a lot more that tolerate and have to adapt as a consequence to it. You know, J.P. Morgan Chase back in the day, he used to have people of kids from really young ages that were being vetted to where they were going. To, and I think Napoleon Hill even talks about it in some sense that they were bringing kids up to be put into positions of CEO roles and like high 
board of director roles in different companies to maintain the 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 security of the the industry that the Morgan Chases and all those individuals would be able to maintain power. But again, we are having a renaissance of even what power is, and the people who are in positions of power are reconsidering the impact that they're having because it's starting to become almost unavoidable unless you soften yourself completely to recognize the implications of decisions that are out of integrity. It's like the World Economic Forum and the, like the young global leaders. I mean, I think we're all pretty attuned to this of what's happening in the world right now. This isn't like some like you know facade. It's like actually happening, right? You guys are all well aware of this, right? What's that? Broadly, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, essentially, does anyone want to speak to this probably better than I can? You know, and like, I mean, again, I don't want to go too deep down that tangent, but yeah, that that might be a big one. What was the initial thing card? What is the thing that you like? Was what do you love about yourself that you worry others? <laughs> you took this into the psychedelic uh, yeah. conversation. But psychedelics is such a great example of of something that like I. I struggle with um expressing self-work and my love for psychedelics in quote unquote like 3d conversations right i don't know how i'm going to be perceived at this stage of of like my own development like i could care less this worked for me and i actually hope that something resonates with you but it really still is shamed and looked down upon and like it's it's changing as we're progressing but this is that that is a really good example of 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 this card Shit, I mean, sometimes that conversation is even about breath work. Like, what yeah, you, sure. You sit around and breathe for 45 minutes? Sure, sure. Holy hell, man. And that will bring us to the next card. Does anybody have any oh, objections? Quick, Stan Groff. Like, when he... <laughs> Dude, really? What? That was a collective release for all of us. That was for all of you. That burp was a collective burp. Uh, Dan Groff, when uh, acid was no longer available, he sought out non-psychedelic, psychedelic experiences and came upon the holotropic breathwork, right? And we can, psychedelia is available everywhere, but there's some molecules that help in unique ways, and that was the whole topic of this for uh, reconsideration. Anyway, yeah, let's go to the next card. And what I'd probably invite is uh, if you have to burp, either before or after a share, like in, in between a share, so I can edit it. If it's all it's welcome. Like, all parts welcome. Uh, no really? bad oh, okay, rip ass. Yeah. That was that was. That's just like both mics are in. Do you tell all your guests that? Oh, you can you can burp, but you can't burp. Everyone's first time on a podcast. Oh, you know, Christian. He reminded me because he, he, he farted so loudly in Austin when we were at a restaurant. And I'm like, dude, what, what was that? He said, look, I'm at a point right now in my life that everything that is natural within me, I'm going to embrace and I'm just going to do. And so I could picture him walking through the airport, just farting and continuing on and the whole world looking around. Then I realized because I was, I was at the hospital, I'm like, what, my fart is other people's problem. If it's truly a problem in the first place. So it, it just laughed and it's a reminder. Embrace your nature. Shout so out burp if you must. Uh, Shout out to Christian. Yeah. <laughs> he just got put out there for the whole world on that one. <laughs> I got this one buddy who just farts anytime he pleases. Sorry, bud. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Thinking He's great about with teeth. You. Thinking about you. Uh, <laughs> moving on from flatulation. <laughs> yeah. 
from flatulence to excellence. <laughs> Literally, from flatulence to excellence. What do you think you'll regret not doing when you're on your deathbed? Making a podcast that's not called Flatulence to Excellence. I think my regret would be like truly not living. And when I was faced with like my near death experience, you know, just a year ago, there was really a moment of like, I haven't done enough. I haven't truly lived like my truth and my purpose to my fullest potential. And so if for, if for some reason, and I don't think that's going to happen, but if for some reason I'm on that deathbed and I don't, I haven't lived up to my purpose and my, and I haven't lived fully and, and really been present, um, then I will have regrets on my deathbed. But as I was talking about, um, yesterday that this conversation around like the deathbed and death and that transition has been a really big piece of the last year of development for me um for context where were you when i had that i was in the hospital i was in the icu with covid pneumonia with three pulmonary embolisms in one lung and two in the other i think so i was in uh yeah a, a, a tough place of not really kind of knowing the direction that my body and was going to take, but having control and where my mind was going. Mm. And so when I took over control and got out of fear and into love, things for me started to shift. And so that's where the, um, really dialing into love as a frequency for life has, has created this shift, um, that is allowing me to lead with love and lead this life with love. And if I continue this, then I'm going to show up at that deathbed with no regrets. Like Hoka, Hey, today is a good day to die. Um, but it's, it's really about, uh, for me, um, living fully and presently. I'll jump in on that. That's a, it's a tough act to follow with the near-death experience. And thankfully, it wasn't that day, as you said. I think my regret would be not living with enough love. Um, connecting that to every person in my immediate household with my, my wife and my kids. Extending that to my family and this beautiful brotherhood that we have here, this tribe of people and and really the, the spot that I'm trying to get to is like pushing that out to like everybody, right? So it's like walking in to get a coffee or the supermarket or running an air of whatever it is to like push out that love, that heart coherence that we hear about, that ability to just make someone's day just by your presence with a smile, with a, a, a nice note, a, a gesture, a, a wink, a, I see you with nothing more than just loving it. Not like, I see you girl, like, but like, I see you. And, you know, even we talked about the most important thing and he was talking about his uncle, like that resonated, like, like how much I want to live inside of that embodiment and how called to that and how easy it feels sometimes. And then how on other days I'm like, where is that? Where? The where was that guy? He was here yesterday, mm -hmm. or he was here an hour ago. Like what? 
And I think it's, you know, like there's this Abe Lincoln quote, he said, you know, most people are as happy as they make up their minds to be. Like, I, I think most people can choose as much love as they choose to make up their minds to have inside of their body to exude that, you know, in every single day and meet things with love, meet anger with love, meet love with love, meet sadness with love and, and really breathe that into your existence. And most importantly, breathe it out to everybody that's around you. Yeah, along those lines, um, what we've spoken about in many instances is that spectrum of the human experience that we allow and then don't allow. And the capacity, which is pretty brilliant that it's wired within us to not be present and carry on an entire life. But we've tasted what presence feels like. We've tasted moments of like orgasmic presence just in the presence of someone else without intimacy necessarily but that moment is intimate Mm. yearning for that but also allowing the spectrum of where that question comes up that one day where like where the fuck is my presence if we even have the capacity to ask it because very often we're just immersed in it a disconnected day not embodied completely hijacked what a beautiful spectrum that we get to exist in and then come back to hmm. and then oscillate within with, I guess, the least amount of resistance, acknowledging that parts of us will control and then others don't. Because, I mean, I do see in the ER that the regrets of the person who held grudges blocked moments of connection with someone else or themselves that now they yearn for that moment, especially when time ends up being the currency that they forgot was the most important one to life, that they end up reconsidering. And if they're not completely hijacked uh, into regretting, they can finally sink into a moment that has been waiting for them for a long period. That moment of connection, not just to others, but to their life and the essence of it, at least for a temporary moment. And I can look back frustrated at times that I like regrettably subscribe to things that distracted that burdened me and that um, some life circumstances had me avail- unavailable to some parts of where I would have loved to experience you know I, I remember I had done I was working 108 hours a week uh, during residency at times and I flew to Iceland and I got there with my cousin in 2016 we get to the top of this, uh, we landed overnight flight, went straight to this uh, waterfall called Gleamer. And I was at the top of Gleamer and it was the most beautiful sight that vision was registering, but no sense was actually connected to the majesty of it. And I was, I checked in with my body and senses were absent. There was a canvas of the most astonishing with no part of me actually present to it. And I made a promise to myself that when I went back there again, I would have greater presence. But there's, I don't have to go, why did I have to go to the top of that spot to be reminded of this? Because I could have been doing it while I was at a coffee shop, meeting a human being. But that, that, sorry? It gave you the reminder though. Yeah, and now I'm reminded of the simplicities of it. Like an exercise that really woke me back up between then was, 
I read somewhere, go sit with a blade of grass and don't get up until you've connected to it again. And it was such a stupid thought. But then when you sat and you saw the majesty of it, the colors lit up. You felt that you saw it just like moving. And these, where we find mon- mundane simplicity actually invited us back to the majesty of life and then that ends up transpiring in an exponential way to all other facets of life and what i ended up i feel embodying was greater presence which i regret less which i still get frustrated from but i'm more available to the oscillation that i feel you experiencing and i feel will be an inevitability and honestly something i'm terrified of of the day that I want to connect with my child and I'm not able to, but I will think of you and I'll think of that question and the, the spectrum that I give myself permission to, to be more momentous and awe, A-W-E, full. Mm-hmm. And on the days that are awful, accept them as part of the spectrum a little bit as well too. I, I really like appreciate actually what you're all saying and, and, and as I hear is like that presence you know is, is fundamentally important because it's like you're not taking anything with you out of this life but how many moments were you actually present to look a friend in the eye and be like you know we're here right now it's fucking cool what else is like really I'm as you speak I'm being present to is you know how much contrast is necessary to bring us back to the presence being confronted with our mortality you know um an experience this summer where you know having to try doing cpr on a uh, a neighbor um really brought me to that because the next day you know we weren't able to save him and he was my age he had kids and the next day i found myself on a dock and there was just a little bit of humidity in the air that just triggered seeing him and working on him and you know I, I, I felt very aware in that moment I had a two paths to kind of go down as I could fall into this fear and this desperation around that experience as and I looked down and my fiance's playing in the water and my three kids are all in the water or I could just be present to this moment which is what is real and in front of me and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting is that, you know, being up on the mountain and, and the contrast of having beauty in front of you and not connecting to it is what brought you to the presence, right? And so it's like sometimes those really terrible experiences in life is the contrast we need to be present. And, you know, that's just kind of what I was hearing in, in the conversation. So, yeah. Next question. Is, <laughs> yeah, we're really on one. I like, I like the second part. We'll cut the first one. Oh boy. What lie did your parents tell you because they thought it was in your best interest? Drugs are bad. Back to that. For me, the biggest one was that like pain was avoidable, mm. um, and I kind of grew up like avoiding injury. 
because like as an athlete it was like don't get injured you won't be able to play your sport and so this idea of like being protected from pain being protected from injury um instead of teaching me how to heal when the pain did arise and that was something that was an incredible thing to to learn and that i continue to try to learn more about is like okay pain is unavoidable so how do we learn how to heal it and have that as a skill in our toolkit you know so for me in a nutshell it's that yeah pain is not avoidable and you're strong enough to heal to it heal from it for me it was uh that different people have different value um my mom hates when i bring this up but there was uh a garbage man that was picking up the garbage and I hadn't done my homework yet that day. And she said, if you don't do your homework, you're going to turn out like him. And I looked at him and I'm like, he seems like a great guy. He smiles every time. He's the same one that comes every week. And where I felt the lesson, I, I still got the lesson that people have different values. I felt that there was something within me that still felt that there was a thread of value that existed in every single human being, irrespective of what they did. And uh, I could have gone down a route of like despising that person because the value was less than what my parents were subscribing to. And I love them deeply for it. And I know she did not mean harm by that. And she was speaking encouragingly. But I think that that was one of the the things that I I saw. And even though I was like eight or nine, I still caught it. It's funny because one of the indicators that I always use in my mind is, is if I'm feeling myself too much, if that ego gets too big, I feel like that's a big indicator that we've lost the path, you know? And and I think everyone at times needs to check in with themselves. And if you feel a little bit too much of self-importance and you look at that garbage man and you fancy yourself better, then you've lost your way to some degree. Because in the end, the reality is that garbage man just had different opportunities, a different story. Maybe he actually loves what he does, and that's okay. But then we begin to judge, and then we project our own ego upon other people. And, and I think that's a lot of like when we talk about the systemic failures and everything that we're, we're talking about with governance and everything is that it's a lot of ego that's created this reality that's failing, you know, and if we could just get back to that self-awareness and realize that we are all equals in this existence, not one person special. If you can just tap into that, I feel like that's where all of a sudden life kind of settles and everything gets to a point of stasis and then a little bit of calm prevails at least for a moment until we start fancying ourselves again (laughs) (laughs) is there something underneath this layer right now no i think it's a governing belief in in my life just because i i've i've kind of lived the spectrum of you know like not having and being now on the other side of you know a lot of things are going well in my life and um being able to, you know, feel into years of my life, like, you know, bussing tables, waiting tables, bartending, and, and knowing what it's like to have utilities shut off. Um, I've been able to have a real felt experience, you know, in, in, in that, that experience of not having that now on the other side of the coin is like, I see 
that my life could have went in 10,000 different divergent directions. But in the end that when I see that garbage man or any person, like I see a mirror of myself and a mirror into a potentiality that could be my own. And then I think it's, um, you know, just up to us not to judge that person. Because the funny thing is, you know, the people I know that are doing quite well on like a societal standard are the ones that do have a lot of deep sadness. And, you know, we hold them to high regard because we share this like uh, construct of what we value as a society. Um, And the funny thing is, you know, I've learned that there's the people that are the most special to me don't really fit that societal mold of success. Um, and they're the people I love the most cause they've figured out the things that I haven't figured out. And it's, and, and that's the other beauty of, of life is, is knowing that like there is things to learn. So when we talk about these micro moments that you have with people. It's not to make somebody else feel good. It's to also know that there's, there's things to be extracted. You know, there's, there's knowledge to be extracted from everyone, even children, you know, we look down upon them, but even children, there's knowledge and things that we can gain from just tapping into those experiences. But it starts with knowing that that person is no better than yourself and vice versa. Yeah. Um, what you were saying, like, cause that whole thread is really important. Like catching when we are judging judgment, shame is the internalized voice of others. And it can be the voice of the, the society that you exist among that would be speaking for something that may be coming hard down on someone. And where you were saying for the individual to check into that part when it does come up, it's really uh, empowering to yourself to reclaim that. Sometimes spending time seeing where the voice came from, whose it was before, tuning into the that reclaiming it recognizing the differentiation that that voice that now you repeat is not actually yours in the first place and then reorienting it into one that is more considerate and maybe in line with where you'd want to be maybe not necessarily where you are and that's something that that we reclaim over time because all of us have uh, been told that life is to be a particular way and experience a particular way and reclaiming that where there's greater consideration for others is devoid of uh, barriers when the judgment and the shame that are really well-intended psychological constructs are are set aside and we see again. Yeah, I think <clears throat> on that note, I, I, our parents are trying to tell us about the world that they grew up in rather than allowing us the opportunity to create the world we want to grow up in. And so my my lie was that strangers are bad or you have to keep an eye on them or, you know, be careful. And I was, Joe and I were talking as a, an expected father to a father. And one of the things that came up for me was realizing that strange energies is what I want to teach my kids about, not strange people or strangers. And so to be able to really dive into that when something doesn't feel right, we, teaching your kids, teaching ourselves, but you know, if, if we have kids teaching our, 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 our kids to listen to that energetic frequency that they all have that says well, something's not right with this person or something's off. And when we started to like dive into it a little bit, just, you know, on the break, it was, 
I spent a lot of time talking to my kids about energy and how they know how people feel without seeing them or talking to them or them saying a word. And we kind of got into it and I was telling them how I demonstrated it because, you know, there's six and seven. They don't really get it yet. They, they understand the words, but they don't know how to articulate that back or what the experience is. So I created an experience and I, they were both in the bathtub and I walked out in the hallway and I said, tell me what daddy's energy is telling you. And when I get mad, I stomp around. So I just stomp through the hall and I waited by the door for a second and I popped my head around and both of my kids were like, and I was like, you know, are we in trouble? What's going on? I'm like, well, what are you feeling? You, you just asked a great question. What do you think, you know, my mindset is? Where, where do you think I'm at? Like, you're angry or you're frustrated? Yes. So did, did I tell you that I was angry? No. Did I tell you that, that I was frustrated? No, but we know those steps. We could feel it. All right, great. Yeah, but that's easy. It's anger. All right. Walked outside. I just started singing a song and dancing a little bit. Couldn't see me. Right? I walk in. They're dancing in the bathtub already. Where are we at? We're happy. This is happy, Dad. Like, great. <clears throat> so simple. But the ability to get ourselves to connect to that energy and to say, you already know this. Here are the words behind it. You know what it feels like. <clears throat> now you can articulate it. Now you can share it with your friends. You know when somebody is talking to you, if it feels right. Like how many times we talk to our friends and we know this as adults, and especially in this group, we're all pretty tapped in. How's everything? Right? Most of us in here are going to tell it like it is, not fine, right? Or if we get a fine, it's, come on, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I know that your words aren't matching your energy right now. <laughs> and I've got the time because I didn't ask that question to get a fine. I'm not being polite. I don't care about the weather, even though it's fucking minus 40 out here, right? <laughs> like, I'll talk about that for a minute. What I really care about is the people who are around me and their energies and what they're saying to me. What I want to pass on is something that they already know that we've been denied most of our lives of saying that you can't trust that instinct or everyone's bad or it's only family, it's only friends. Well, now you're limiting these beautiful interactions with amazing strangers mm -hmm. and this opportunity to learn and grow from cultures that aren't your own, that are different households and different values. And that is a very worldly view for a child to have who doesn't travel or maybe doesn't have the ability to travel and yet because they've connected with you know a Lebanese boy at their school and they're like they eat different shit what's going on like I love that story right I love that value because the energy is the same where they've grown up is different and they're getting exposed to that mm -hmm. so I want to step into where we absorb other people's or acknowledge and absorb those energies and we are recognizing strange energies and not people as strange. And when we identify that, we, we resonate a truth in our body that we all in this room, when we hear things that are true, we all vibrate. Mm -hmm. We all know what truth feels like. Mm -hmm. And when we hear a lie or something that's not true or maybe not even true for us, because truth is, you know, perceptual, right? That's the duality of it. It's like the analogy that I've been given is like a, a coral reef when a predator swings, swims by, right? Like 
everything just kind of like sucks in and becomes rigid. We've all felt that, that rigidity of, okay, I'm, I'm going to be careful where I go here, or I'm going to keep an eye on that person. Strange energies is what we should be talking about, or when things take that turn is, yeah, something beautiful to that. <laughs> yeah, dude. That was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, speaking of strange energies, Kalabe Kavusi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, what he, what he says is like so on point. Like that stranger apprehension that uh, we're we're discussing here versus strange behavior acknowledgement. When we can't differentiate that, you just learn. I'm going to eliminate a person or cancel them or devalue them in some way that creates a massive division and separation. That's what society does. Like it's what's happening. Yeah, dude, you walk around, we were talking about this yesterday that you walk on the street and you'll maybe acknowledge a person and then almost acknowledge their non-existence as you walk by. But a part of you has asserted that this person's not going to kill me or suddenly go crazy, stab me in the neck with a knife, at least hopefully. And if they do, you may actually change sides because you've, you've gauged them in some way. But the behavior, the quality that has you check in on if there's an energy signature with the person that's walking by you that you're either connected or not connected with, that's a very different thing that you have as your gauge for whether to connect with or not. And when that's your consideration, everyone else is a potential friend that you can connect with as a human that's sharing life experience at the same time as you. Because all of you guys have, everyone who's alive has the same agreement, which is breath with this life until that, uh, that agreement is severed, then life no longer exists. Till then, that person who's walking on the street got the majesty of life and they're potentially waiting to have the most incredible human experience that they interact with with you. And, um, I think that's a, a massive reclamation, dude. And what a gift to teach the children, the, the differentiation of that as well, too. So they're going to say that to their friends. They're going to, and their, their friends are going to notice the embodiment because children embody things that have been beautifully conditioned into them and that they've caught on to both consciously and unconsciously from their parents as well, too. And I just want to commend how amazing and acknowledge that is. Thank you. Yeah. I received. Trying to. <laughs> Oh yeah. Feeling pretty wavy over here. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd like to walk away for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Same. You guys continue. I'm just. Okay. <laughs> did you take? Did you take? Did you take? Right. This is because they want the psychedelics are having them connect. It's not because they feel unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. And I also acknowledge the honesty there. It's big. Did everybody drop in? As we close. The, cons- the, the podcast name is Layered Prescriptions, which is the things that you have come to experience in your life that you embody. What is the invitation that's, that's there that people come to meet when they're in your experience? And if you were to put it to words, what is that embodiment for you? And because no human being is like a simple thing, we may say like life, you, you just have to this in order to that in life. It's never that. There's the layers in particular that... I know exists with all of you guys. So the whole podcast being layered prescriptions, it's a it's in, the invitation through embodiment of what you have. I have like, and I would love to, because of the name of the podcast, 
and because of kind of what was just talked about, um, I, here's a layered prescription about strange energies. And it's just kind of, do you want to just keep riffing here right yeah, now? Sure. Because yeah. um, like, you inspired me with that story, and I'm like, I got to talk to my kids about that. And then there's this other layer to it, because I'm just leaving this course. And what I get a lot in these anger management courses um, is, uh, what I get a lot in these anger management is strange energy. But it's, you know, like it's presented interesting. Like even today, like the strange energy of one of the men just talking about his response to a situation where someone knocked on his door and it was so disproportionate, so angry. So, and it's very much like one of those situations where you, that's a strange energy. But the sharing of the story in itself was a strange energy. Uh, in a sense, it was testing the safety of, of what I bring in my presence. Um, and, and even in that whole space, um, you can sense that the view the individual had brought to it uh, to that situation, there was, there was something in that energy he was bringing. And my point being in, in this is as potential healers that, you know, and we're, we're, we're really here to support other people. You know, we, we also contain strange energies that time. And how do we find in ourselves the ability to accept it because it's there? And then how do we respond to it in a, in a compassionate way? Because, you know, in that, like, just kind of microcosm of that course, me, by not presenting resistance to what he was bringing and just was listening to it and, and was actually encouraging to create understanding, created a situation where his whole energy shifted by the end of the course. He was a very safe and active participant from a posturing participant. Um, and so, you know, just in, as I verbally process this out, is kind of thinking of, you know, how do we make sense of strange energies in ourselves? And when we're a service of people, how do we respond to the strange energy without closing but compassion? <laughs> That's a great awareness. And as you say that, I acknowledge that there are no women here today. And women have a different frequency of the world that they're gauging to say if it's safe or not. And in, in that line, I mean, I remember in Sedona, mm -hmm. I asked the, the women, uh, if any of them, like, how do they leave their house? And a lot of them claimed that they would wear a headphone with a hoodie, not make any eye contact because the world wasn't safe. Hmm. And their cues, then we, we asked all the women that were there at that time, how many of you have experienced this with a healthcare professional or in the world? Every single one of their hands went up. When we asked the men that were there at that time, none of them almost put their hands up except for when they had someone of the same sex make them feel uncomfortable was the only place that they found relatability with where the women felt a strange behavior. But women were almost not saying that it's strange. It was their nervous system was so primed for a high level of sensitivity for a low threshold to feel that something is strange. Hmm. And so the, the onus is on a world almost to be one that is more safe and welcoming for the individuals to put down their guards and their shields for their own sense of something being strange First, not being misconstrued, but more importantly, being sharp and attuned to what is actually in line and out of line. Yeah, I want to, I want to just co-sign on that, and and say that this 
that very conversation about strange behaviors was prompted by my wife who sent me a, a video clip on, I don't know if it was IG or TikTok or whatever it was. And this woman identified the strange behaviors versus strangers. And I know my wife is well okay with me sharing this, but that was really important to her because she was molested as a child by her stepfather mm. inside of a house where we all expect safety. We all expect our hearts to be protected. <clears throat> we, <clears throat> we don't expect that that's going to happen right inside the house. And yet everyone talks about stranger danger and the markers close to 90% that, that those kinds of traumas happen from close friends and family or a relative. Yeah. And so the difference between identifying those strange energies versus strangers is a real salient point, I think, for a lot of women, especially mm -hmm. who go through their lives mm -hmm. in the way that you're talking about, where they always feel like, <clears throat> I mean, Dave Chappelle has a great, a great thing about it where he talked about getting paid $10,000 one day and walking through Harlem and he's like, this is what it feels like to be a woman. Like I've got this thing that I know everybody wants. And like if they find out I got this bag of cash, like it's over for me <laughs> and any time they could take it from me. Right? Like he's like, that's the closest thing that I'll ever get to being able to assess that, you know, as a woman that like, I could only imagine that that's the proximity of the threat level and the danger that they walk through. So as you're saying that, like, yeah, that's a, that's a great thing to have a laugh about. And yet there's so much truth to that, mm -hmm. that I think it needs to be honored. We need to talk about that. And there's a group of men here who are coming together to do work and look for ways to support each other. It's also, how do we support the feminine, right? How do we, how do we make them feel safe and seen and heard and protected? And if we're not spending a little time talking about that, we're doing a disservice to our partners, our mothers, our sisters, our daughters, all these people who have gone through their lives feeling that, that threat level, that taxation on their energetic bodies. And that's, that's exhausting. It just reminds me of the question that was asked before, which is what's that lie? And, and that was one of the things we were talking about in the course is junk values. And, and what might propagate a lot of the strange energy or the, that, that threatening energy is, you know, junk values. These, these values in society that we say are important, but actually um, don't actually, for, it's like junk food. It might taste good, but it, at the end of the day, it, it leaves you feeling sick, you know, and stuff like your image, your Instagram following, the money you make, the job, you know, these, these things. And it makes me, you know, wonder just like exactly that. Does that produce a lot of the strange energy that that you're talking about? And and being that healthy masculine is reconnecting to what what are the values that are really really important that create safety, that create integrity, that that nourish, right? Rather than the junk food that makes you ill at the end. I really love the concept yeah it's funny this came up to me earlier um and it was actually coming out of another journey and it was i had this vision of being a teenage boy and what 
the music and the videos and things I was watching was doing to me, which was then what was that doing to the girls in my class, which is then it's this whole feeder system of what does a girl have to be and then therefore what do they have to put up with. And it's kind of scary, man. It's like, whoa, okay. That's how we've gotten here. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not to like push or repress certain aspects of a young male, but it's to be conscious to try to, again, pivot in our own little way to be more conscious of how we're treating women. Right? And yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a really interesting, it almost showed me the whole spiral of how this is all happening and, and just Kaveh bringing that up on the street or di- like, um, it's just, it is, it sucks, man. It, that like, that kind of like scares me to think of how girls and women have to go out in the world because we haven't maybe like taken the steps ourselves to question how each individual person should be treated, male or female. And I guess it's not just women, it's really any minority at this point, really, right? But, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about nutritional uh, mismatch that can happen with a sweet meal that doesn't have the nutrients that are actually there. On a guidance for the energy signature, if there's a human that has a mismatch with what they're representing and the energy that we're feeling, there's a gut feeling, an intuitive yeah. sensation that's there. And a tendency for a lot of us to have become estranged and unfamiliar to being connected to that feeling, how it expresses itself in that moment from what we experienced long ago. I mean, for a lot of individuals who you're right, one in three, and it's probably more, have been abused in their own home by someone that they loved, trusted, was not by choice, but by the circumstance, asking them to protect them. And they felt an aspect of them violated long ago, dysregulated a lot of their capacity to feel safe to be here within themselves in that moment. I can only imagine what sensors then scan to say, hey, the rest of the environment needs to be safe now. It should be. When the, the place where we called home for our earliest stages of uh, establishment for who we are, could not find peace within itself as well. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of individuals who say this in, in the spiritual community, identify as being empaths, highly sensitive. I would argue that a lot of it stems from a nervous system that was dysregulated to say the world is not safe and so I must scan. And that sensitivity is yearning to put that shield down and just be in trust gracefully with the with the world that we're in yeah but till then you know that person who's exhibiting the strange behavior out of integrity in integrity whatever it is that may be how they're coping with the world with how they were hurt at some point keep thinking that human beings are not born shitty we just show up that way and a lot of it is That's a great bumper sticker that's at the meditation supply store (laughs) (laughs) tell dave (laughs) yeah it's one some is by circumstance Mm -hmm. and others uh is by just uh what was conditioned over time so that strange behavior i think acknowledgement is is a really big one and the way that we have the greatest shift in the world by us is us first considering what our detector is and also maybe what we're emitting yeah. And you can have real conversations with people who maybe you can ask them like, hey, what's the feeling you get from me? 
and be open to the possibility of them saying, you are a piece of shit. You are an asshole to other people. You're very nice, but it's conditional with the select amount of people. Yeah. And that's a person, you're pretty much out of integrity almost all the time. But are, you, are we open to explore that? That could be a very tough thing to digest. And maybe it's too real and raw. And we work towards hey, that. Are you t- talking to me? I'm talking directly <laughs> to you. I would just like right. It just turns to a big yeah. intervention yeah, now. This is an intervention yeah. now. These cameras aren't even on. Yeah, I've been mulling this <laughs> over. We were actually solely talking about you for the first two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I've been mulling this over for a while. Uh, oh, hey. All right, new card, new card here. Yeah, yeah grab yeah, a new yeah. card Last for one. sure. Last one. The, just, just, uh, I'm going to have it. you cut the deck. Eric's got a hot hand. No, yeah. Eric knows when he looks at his Instagram that he's starting to check out. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What does humanity completely misunderstand? Oh, I think we talked about this. Yeah. It's self. Let's go to, go to the next question. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you playing it too safe? Should we do just one one word? Okay. Let's maybe let's get it to one minute. Let's get it to a minute. No, but like there's there's probably one thing that we we're playing it too safe on, and okay. well, like like I, don't, I, I could easily say phrase, like. <laughs> entrepreneurism like i can easily easily say that but like the reality where i'm playing it too safe is uh is i know i have stuff i could put out there and i could do really well at but there's a part of me that would rather not try at the risk of failure Mm. right um or wouldn't want to try because my own measure of success it won't live up to that right and so that's right. And then I can't help quantifying it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to boil it down to, to one word. Uh, it's a little tricky. It's a tricky constraint. Um, you know, I find that this stage of my life is I've kind of found some success and things are going pretty good. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to lead a team of people that I, I deeply love and, um, there's times I wonder though, if, you know, there's comfort in that, you know, and, and is there something on the other side of, of, you know, comfort? And, and I think, um, you know, I do at times feel like I'm playing it small, just, you know, leading inside of a singular Ford franchise store in New Jersey of all places. And there's a, there, you know, there's times where I feel like, am I playing a big enough role is, is my expansiveness going to meet its potential in this role? Um, and it's, it's something I've wrestled a lot with in the last few years specifically. And I've gotten okay with the fact that um, it, it's seemingly small, but at the same time as I do realize that there's a lot of people who my decisions and actions and presence does impact. And then they touch a lot of other people's lives. So, there is somewhat of a ripple, but I do think that at times, you know, it can be a crutch and, you know, I'm not really challenging myself in a sense, you know, big challenge would be, can I step away from what I love and 
immerse myself into a physical environment that, you know, is uncomfortable. And, um, and who would I be without these things that nurture my life? Um, but I kind of like it. I kind of like living my life right now. So I'm not ready to give it up. <laughs> my ego's holding on. It's holding on tight. I think this will be a, a good question for me to ponder f further, but as per our, our conversation earlier, I think an area where I'm playing it too safe is not being fully open, right? So being fully open to everything means feeling everything, right? Which comes with a level of acceptance for not only all parts of myself, but all parts of the human experience, which means like all parts of humanity right so it's kind of a bigger spiritual meta contemplation of releasing judgment of my experience and like the collective experience right so as long as we are denying any aspect of it then we're closed off to some part of it Right, so an unwillingness to feel discomfort means that we're not going to feel the full level of comfort or an unwillingness to feel pain, we're not going to feel the full spectrum of bliss, right? So we, I can't be, I would like to be less discerning in the full expression, if that makes sense, because I think only in that openness will my true potential come through and really trusting that it's safe to do that is important to me. Yeah, I think mine is gonna be from that scene in the Oracle, or in the Matrix when he's talking to the Oracle and she asks him if he's the one. And he kind of like hesitates and says he doesn't think he's the one. And she's like, I, I can see you're hedging your bet, right? And um, it doesn't mean that I think I'm the one, but it's almost like I'm not giving myself permission to be the one person that I could be in a sense of like Neo, like, and it's the Marianne Williamson poem, like not accepting what potential greatness is within me. There's too much comfort and closure and fear, um, particularly around money and just being safe enough that it doesn't open me to whatever Joe actually is. And I've started recognizing that, right? And so, yeah, it's like, it's like I'm hedging my bet a little because I think life needs to be safe. And so I'm not actually, um, I'm being too safe as to what is Joe. Dude, I think you guys have all touched on where I feel that as well too. I, as the question came up, I felt that there are feelings and experiences within Kaveh that are currently unavailable. And the, like the verb to Kave, yeah. the life experience of Kave, the adjective of Kave that I know myself to be has less of a range that I live through than is actually available to me. And I taste it from time to time and I know that it's available, but it's that, that element of comfort. But I think mainly it's fatigue. 
But the aspect of COVID that I know so well is exhausted almost all of the time. And in the moments that I actually get three, four days of really good sleep, I almost feel like I'm manic and it's terrifying. So I almost like blunt myself because of the expansive possibility that exists that I've made contact with from time to time. Cause feel, but it's, it's the feelings that are arising and it's very likely repressed feelings that have all of the invitation at some point to be felt through and are yearning for it. And I like cognitively knock the door, mm -hmm. but knocking with my heart is one of the most terrifying things to open that door to because I told myself when I had my tumor that I'll die from the feelings again from 20, 2009 until 2016, where I didn't really feel. And then I felt again with the help of medicines that brought feeling of life back in and meeting my parents' eyes again and meeting my friends' eyes. During that time, I said, the next time I feel, it's going to be so overwhelming that I will die. And these medicines showed me that that's not the case and that the feeling can be embraced, beautiful, and most importantly, safe. And I, I felt my mortality and then I felt like a, an inexplicable expanse that arose within me again. And that place is scary to go to when you don't feel like you have the energy bandwidth to actually be with it as it's enveloping your environment and your life experience. And I feel like uh, I, I got to a tipping point in 2019 where I said I am. I, I choose to test that theory. And I had medicine experiences at least every two months, including culminating with ayahuasca, that the plant showed me that my body is a lot stronger and that every feeling is welcome. And I felt all of it that day and in those experiences. And I feel that it is much more available to me now, but I still play safe again because I feel that the, the bandwidth that I have where it were to come up, which needs some time for processing, I don't have the luxury of time for, though that's an illusion. Thank you for that answer, because it dovetails nicely into facing this fear that all of a sudden is welling up in me. I felt very comfortable sharing and even being emotional in those shares this entire time that we've been together for over two hours now <clears throat> and yet the thing that is alive when I hear playing it safe is I'm more than happy to acknowledge that I've this gift that I've been given and being able to channel and it's really easy to share with you guys inside of this community because I see feel so seen and I know that that container is safe and yet that question on a podcast to then say to the world, like this is a thing that I that I can do, this is the thing that I have access to. I'm surprised with just how terrified I am right now to, to say those words and to make that proclamation. That, uh, I mean, I feel it in my body. I feel my heart rate going up. I feel my palms are sweaty right now. I mean, I've been fucking cool as a cucumber this whole time. And this one question, this is, this is the final question. And even when you said like, Hey, you know, we're all going to answer this. I was like, fuck, <laughs> this is the one time I was going to shut up. Um, and so thank you for, for pulling that other card. Thank you for, for acknowledging that. Thank you for, for talking about stepping into those fears and, 
think everything in some way, shape, or form for me has led up to facing this and being willing to say it to everybody. Mm-hmm. So, Good job. Yeah. Thank you. that's what's alive. Yeah, I don't play it safe at all. I'm actually off the rails in every aspect of my life. I'm going full throttle fucking 100% of the time. Um, no, I would say that I'm probably playing it safe with my relationship with and healing my relationship with my family. I think that it, that's a hard thing to kind of approach um, as I'm doing my own inner healing. I think that there's a lot of things that I would love to um, bring up to my family to maybe get support that I'm avoiding because of like the further repercussions. And so I think that if, um, if I'm playing it safe anywhere, it is, uh, it's, it's active avoidance of, um, some of like the deeper traumas from childhood. And, uh, being aware of it and like feeling, you know, icky, like it feels icky talking about it is I think the first step of, um, moving forward to healing it. Mm. So thanks for the space to talk about it in public. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'll go off the rails everywhere else. Okay. So I guess we'll, We'll just wrap this up then. I want to thank all the gentlemen that uh, are here who said yes to coming up to the cottage after a long hiatus of being able to be physically present with uh, one another. I really appreciate you guys all taking the time to commit, to consider, and to reflect as you shared. And I know this just scratches the surface overall on a lot of things that just temporarily the mic is capturing. I'm grateful that the paths that you guys all individually walk have so many elements of what you embody, being closer to integrity and really being in service of the world and while being in consideration of how you can nurture yourself along the way. And I, pra- I intend to practice what I'm preaching right now as well too. And uh, I know that this is, not, this is the first of many opportunities for us to, to be connecting. Uh, this way and um, the men that weren't able to make it here are are deeply missed as well and the women that are walking alongside in our lives we honor and appreciate and respect you deeply and um, part of this is an intention to have the men who do make it through this entire podcast getting to this point to pause and consider for a moment how they can make in the experience of themselves being safer, an invitation for the women that walk in our vicinity, their future daughters, their cousins, the, the strangers who are very well intended, who are yearning to know that the world is safe and can be experienced for the short life that we all get to share together. And maybe you're listening to this long after we've all passed, but to consider this during your lifetime that we, we all reorient to a world that is felt in honor, gracefully in service, and um, and I thank you all. I love you all. Thanks, love brother. Yeah. Love, love you, all you guys. All yeah. you guys, yeah. Bastard. <laughs> I want to thank these men for taking the time to dialogue 
and share their thoughts, being vulnerable. Uh, it's important to have a world where men can be unconditionally witnessed in the presence of men that they trust. And this is one example of many of spaces where men get closer to their integrity and are role models that I think a lot of the generation of young men that are growing up right now are sorely missing. This conversation is one of many that, again, is an igniter for you to consider to make spaces wherever you are in the world, whatever age you are, to have dialogues that are in greater truth, where you can support men, where they are not being judged, where they're not being shamed, where their truth is welcomed, and it's it has a space for it to just be witnessed. Thank you again, the men that are in my life, my father, the men that I walk alongside, my brother, my closest friends, my cousins, my fake cousins, role models that have been present in my life as well too, and those who come to be. I'm looking forward as I progress through this beautiful life experience as well to be a role model and someone that can be humbled with places that may be my blind spots for me to approximate the greater integrity as well too. That's the most beautiful place to be. I love you. I want to thank my guests for taking the time to share their insights and wisdom. Please consider connecting with them and their information will be in the show notes. Consider leaving a review and rating the podcast. I'm not going to tell you what to rate. You do as you feel. And please, before this podcast ends and you go on to the next thing, take three to five minutes in silence to allow some of the information that you heard to be contemplated, digested, and integrated. To the degree that every experience has a moment to actually have it be processed, it has a greater chance for it to be instilled into your life. I wish the rest of your day and week is beautiful. Take care, remain curious, and don't forget to play.